Hi, and welcome to the Coffee Shop Podcast from Talent Spark. I'm Ian Anderson. And I'm Jane Kennedy. And we are Associate Directors at Talent Spark. Talent Spark is part of the Eden Scott Group and is a recruitment partner specialising in supporting startups. So I spend a large amount of my time in coffee shops meeting influencers and startup leaders, hearing all about their businesses and the challenges they've encountered in growing them. So we thought we'd create a podcast so that you too can benefit from the knowledge of all those who shared how they've been there and done it. We recently met with Hector Mason from Episode 1, a venture capital firm in London. Hector joined the Talent Spark team and the legal firm Morton Fraser for dinner in Edinburgh to chat to early stage businesses about attracting VC money from London. Well, I'm, I'm Hector I'm Mason. I work at Episode One Ventures, which is a um, seed venture capital fund based in London. We we invest in B two B software um, businesses um, with check sizes typically about a million pounds. So um, usually for that million pounds, we aim to get around twenty percent um, ownership in a business. So that sort of gives a, a, a sort of indication as to the valuation and the stage at which we invest. Although it's incredibly flexible, so we're happy to get into a company at a quarter of a million with, with a quarter of a million pound check or with a two million pound check, so sort of within those um, bounds. Um, we tend to stick away from hardware, we do pretty much only software um, investments just because we don't want to take on the, um, the supply chain risk of hardware. Um, and also it makes my job a lot easier and I don't have to um, cover absolutely every single business on the market, which is um, quite, quite nice for me. So, so we have two funds. There's a £40 million fund that was the first one we raised in 2014 and then in 2017 we raised a £60 million fund, um, which we're about halfway through the investment period of. So another couple of years of investing um, and then we'll, middle of next year, sometime around then, we'll start looking to raise fund three. I mean, it, it's five partners and they've all come from operator backgrounds. So we like to think of ourselves as very sort of entrepreneur friendly. I think some funds, and it's not a bad or a good thing necessarily, sort of give the money and then um, just let the companies get on with whatever they're doing. And that works really well for some founders. We prefer to sort of enter into a really long-term relationship where over the next 10 plus years, we're going to be hopefully working very closely with those founders um, to build their companies and we can offer a lot of advice from previous careers as, as startup founders. And one of the things that I picked up from episode one's website, um, which is, is all over it, is you know, we like fantastic teams yeah. that are changing um, you know, life-changing technologies. Yeah. So what constitutes a fantastic team in your <laughs> mind? It's... Um, I love this question because it's it's the most exciting thing of the job. It's that that's what everyone um, you know at episode one, and I'm pretty sure everyone in venture capital would agree is the most exciting part of the job is the people you're surrounded by, whether that's investors or entrepreneurs. It's kind of all part of the same thing. But by fantastic team, we mean um, we mean you sit in front of them and their enthusiasm is infectious. They want to build something huge. They're on an absolute mission. They've come up with this idea. Um, They've got through to the stage where they're sat in front of us, so they've got an interesting idea and they're operating in a really big market. We've sort of pre-qualified those things. But then what it comes down to is, do we get a sense of that fire inside them? Are they going to build something big and not stop stop anything to, to build that thing? Um, and it's really exciting when you when you see that and it's almost instant. You know, We come out of meetings and talk to each other over the desks and say, did you get that excited feeling kind of thing? And it's actually really quite rare that you do. And we've invested in plenty of companies where you don't necessarily get that, but you think, you know, these people are really 
good operators. They know exactly what they're doing. Perhaps they're just execution focused and they just get shit done. Um, and um, so by a fantastic team. And, and I think the other thing is complementary skill sets. So, you know, you, you can have, I think a lot of um, the limelight goes towards the sort of Elon Musks and the um, natural orators who clearly people get excited about and get a lot of publicity. Um, but but there's there are plenty of um, sort of more introverted CEOs who have amazing attention to detail and um, are just as credible as founders. And, and often you might have a CTO and a CEO who have those two different sort of perhaps a more extrovert and more introvert personality. Absolutely. And they really complement each other. And, you know, one perhaps is better at sales than the other, but the other one brings a lot of credibility both to customers in their sales process and also to, to investors when they're trying to raise money. So you've invested in some interesting businesses. What makes a standout proposition for episode one? What what le- what gets you coming out of that meeting yeah. thinking we've got to put money into yeah. it? So I think so. So there's there are a number of things. Um, it's it's mainly the team, and I think um, the things that sort of qualify the company to to the point of getting them in for a meeting because we do quite a lot of pre-meeting due diligence. Um, so, so over email or perhaps over a phone call, we'll sort of talk to them and we'll investigate a little bit as to sort of the market they're operating in. You know, we asking things like and trying to work out and do our own research as well, because um, you can't necessarily trust the twenty-five <laughs> trillion pound <laughs> total addressable market figure that they've given you. So we do a bit ourselves as well, but basically working out if they were to capture one hundred percent of the market in the UK, um, what would their revenue be? So, so that's not always an easy figure to come, come to, to arrive at at all, but it's, it's quite a useful one to at least have a stab at getting to. Particularly if they're creating a new market, which again yeah. makes it difficult. Yeah, it's exactly. That, that can be a really difficult thing. So it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's certainly not a science, but you're kind of trying to, you know, muddle your way to some sort of an idea of what that figure is. So, so that's the market size. And then it's, I mean, there are loads of VC funds out there. And the reason for that is because all of them have managed to raise money from their investors on the basis that they are putting money into a specific niche within the startup ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, there's no sort of silver bullet for um, what an interesting company looks like. We as episode one have our preferences and our tastes and we like really technical things. We also like marketplaces and um, particularly certain types of marketplaces. Um, the slightly more sort of technical ones where it's quite hard to build them rather than necessarily just a, a standard basic two-sided marketplace because although they're basic they're actually quite hard to um, build into big businesses so there are a lot of things that that interest us and we're a generalist fund so we really do look at yeah. um, we can be interested by almost anything so for us it's really just what do we like the look of? What are we going to enjoy going along to board meetings um, <laughs> for the next 10 years? Yeah. Um, and, and that's actually quite important. You know, We're spending a lot of time with these companies and we want to be excited every time we go along to a board meeting. Um, so then beyond that, you know, the unit economics have to stack up and we have to do sort of um, working out whether this is a must-have or a nice-to-have for their um, prospective customers and things like that. But it's especially at seed stage, it's quite, a, it's quite an art, not a science. It's mm-hmm. um, gauging the people, gauging the market. We're not doing financial modelling particularly. Um, it's, it's Hopefully we're all commercial enough people to sort of, to an extent, instinctively 
know whether this is a good bet and you know more often than not it fails but hopefully we can get it right enough times um, to make it a success. I think it's one of the challenges you know I mean in Scotland we're very lucky that we have very buoyant and very active angel community so actually raising that seed money for Scottish for good Scottish businesses mm -hmm. isn't necessarily too challenging. Yeah. I think the challenge in Scotland is that next stage and yeah. sometimes it's because companies don't go out and ask for enough money in the first stage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because you said that earlier on that you know 95% of your portfolio is based in London. Yeah. So how can Scottish companies compete with, yeah. you know, London investment opportunities mm -hmm. and what do you think is a realistic ask? You know, because I, I, I see it often that, you know, they, they raise money and then by the time the money comes in, they've almost spent it, so they're yeah. out fundraising yeah. again. Yeah. So, you know, can you give us a little bit of insight as to what you think a good investment journey looks yeah. like and how Scottish companies can attract the attention yeah, of London investors? Sure. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think, first of all, it's, it's amazing what a thriving angel community there is here and I think that's incredibly useful and I think it can be um, great for that first stage um, and for certain companies that first stage before raising venture capital money. Um, I, I think the, so I think there isn't much of an issue, particularly with the angel rounds up in Scotland. I think generally, I think sometimes there are cases where perhaps they don't raise enough money and you know th these companies have to go out raising again after eight months or something and it's a massive distraction on the business having to go out and raise, raise funds. So, so ideally as a um, VC we want to give um, companies about eight sort of near enough 18 months runway but I think um, I think more of an issue is actually around um, what do so, so what do there's a lot of things in sort of a pitch deck for a Scottish company where I, I've seen quite a lot and I'm, I'm gonna make some huge generalizations because yeah, you know <laughs> I think some of the stuff I say will be you know will resonate with certain people and hopefully other things with others um, but I think I see quite a lot of Scottish pitch decks which are sort of quite focused on break even within sort of 18 months and are quite focused on an exit within three to five years for 50 million pounds. Um, and that's great and I think there have been so many examples in Scotland of you know exits in the tens of millions of pounds which have made angels good money and have made the founders good money um, that you know naturally that's what the founders here are surrounded by and so it's kind of treated like the norm. So, so those um, those sort of investments aren't appealing for a um, for a VC yeah. for a London VC, and actually that's a lie. Some VCs do look for more like a three to five x on eighty percent of their portfolio. For for many VCs, and certainly for us, we're looking for sort of moonshot bets. Um, we want to be investing in companies that are going to return 30 x for the fund. Hopefully, that we can sell for hundreds of millions, if not billions, of, of pounds. Um, so those those companies need to be really geared towards that growth mentality um, and they need to they need to illustrate that from from the get-go so in the deck they need to be saying we need this much money to get here based on this we're gonna you know we're gonna accelerate our sales we're gonna get to here we're gonna raise a series a and show your ambition if you're really ambitious and you want to build a huge business and that is a critical factor because many people don't and are happy with um, millions of pounds as you should be but if you do want to build a really enormous business, then then you need to um, you need to make that very clear to the VC that you want to you know raise lots of money post this angel and seed round, um, 
because that's you know we it, it's real alarm bells if we if we don't see that and if we're looking at sort of break even after eighteen months. How do you, as an investor, encourage you know founders to think beyond their yeah. own capabilities and, and realise that they need to to bring people yeah. in to assist the business yeah. growth? So, so I think I think a, a good um, thing to think about is probably that most of these found or all of the founders that we invest in want to build a, a, a big business and hopefully most of them um, want to build a, an enormous business so so they will do what's needed to build a huge business unless they're incredibly unself-aware or just and do not take any advice then hopefully they'll realize some of their shortcomings and actually just you know they may not even admit it sort of to anyone but they might just subconsciously well not subconsciously but sort of without explicitly saying we're hiring this person because I'm not good in this area yeah. they might just hire the right person because they want to build a big business and that that's that's their overarching aim but that's also about what you said about that founding team when they come in and they share that vision and they share that mm-hmm. excitement yeah. they obviously realise that there are shortcomings within the team mm-hmm. and are able to adapt and that yeah. I, I was really interested because you said this is your third trip to Scotland yeah. uh, and I'm quite interested to see what you think about the Scottish market in Edinburgh in particular and how that compares with what you see elsewhere in the UK. Yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there are fewer businesses, so it's quite nice for me being able to... I spend a fair bit of time here in Edinburgh and also in Ireland um, and you get to know a few people in the sort of ecosystem and you get a pretty good feel for the entire ecosystem just through those people which is which is really great um, and I think that's a huge um, benefit to these um, very tight-knit communities yeah. the glaring things are that they are generally pitched more towards the sort of exit in three to five years and of course that happens in London as well in Scotland in Scotland yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. and um, and so and you know it's just it works for the Scottish um angel syndicates and angels um, but it doesn't work for VCs. Why do you think it is so much more difficult for female founders to get yeah. investment? So, so I think it's um, I, I think it's a really structural issue. I, I don't think it's that you know VCs don't like women. I, I think it's, I honestly think it comes down to you know education and deep rooted um, you know gender pay gaps and things like that um, and gender inequality in general. Um, and, and I think that a large part of the reason for um, there being fewer female founders, VC-backed female founders, is because I think um, a lot of women think that the sort of businesses that they should be setting up are e-commerce things and are not necessarily deep tech things, and they right. sort of yeah. and they you know from a young age they weren't necessarily um, encouraged to think incredibly commercially about sort of and you know going on work experience I certainly think that you know from the from a very young age kind of it's quite cool in a way for a guy to be like making loads of money and I think this is changing really quickly but um certainly from you know the people I was surrounded by um more guys were interested in kind of um having a little side hustle at school and doing those sort of things and so I think it comes from quite a long long sort of way back uh, and it's certainly changing you know I, I see I take a lot of meetings with 
female founders doing really interesting stuff yeah. now and you know there are tons of there's a huge amount of talent coming out of top universities yeah. um, but it's it's you know it's going to take a long time and it's definitely feeding through the system slowly it's, it's also interesting what you were saying about that you know ability to work 20 hours in UD because you know having been a working mum myself and employed working mums yeah I do actually think that working mums are probably the best time-managed yeah. individuals. Yeah. You know, and in terms of actually business delivery, they're mm. very focused because they have to be because there's so many other things on the boil. You yeah, know? absolutely. Um, and I, th- I think that you're right. I think there's a definite change in that in terms of you know um, the drive and ambition of women. Mm. It's whether or not the market actually yeah. catches up in terms yeah. of that. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think there's so we've got um, our entrepreneur in residence at the moment. Um, Dan Scott, who's who was the founder of um, Air Sorted, um, he's he's sort of working away on his next um, startup at the moment, and um, he's actively, really proactively building building out his network of potential female um, co-founders. Um, you know, he for one, and he's certainly not the only person. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally sees the value in um, in a in a um, gender diverse um, startup and especially founding team because. Their, you know, men and women have very complementary skill sets and ways of approaching problems. Yeah. And different perspectives. You different know, whose voice are you not listening to totally. if you're not the yeah. other right Exactly. If you had sort of three top tips mm-hmm. to give out to anybody who's going out looking for investment, mm. what would they be? It, it's got to be. It's got to be a good idea. It's got to be a. <laughs> it's got to be a really interesting yeah. business. Um, so I think then you need to. You need to totally believe in this business, yeah. um, because that's what's going to come across to investors and get them excited. Um, so I think that is that sort of number two. Um, I think network, and you know, if you're if you're literally approaching getting money, if you haven't, most people don't know loads of investors. So um, network lots, go to events, um, and actually, so so listen to advice. That that's the that's the third one. It's listen to advice, speak to people who you respect, who've, you know, done relevant things, built up companies before. Um, listen to advice from them, and they'll make you good introductions. They'll make tweet. They'll, you know, they'll they'll give you advice on how to tweak your investment deck to optimize for raising the round. Um, people people are really helpful, and often the most successful people are the most helpful because they take great satisfaction in sort of giving back and watching the next wave um, grow up. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining us today. If you're an early stage or growing business, remember to sign up to the podcast. There's also a wealth of TalentSpark Insight information available. You can follow us on Twitter at talent underscore spark, or you can find us on LinkedIn at the TalentSpark community, or of course you can go to our website, talentspark.scot, where you can sign up for our newsletter. See you all next time.